0: I'm going to ask you a sensitive question. You're the radio woman? The
1: existence of fairies has never been a question. The answer is no. They're real.
0: You didn't let me ask the question. Very real. So, what am I looking for?
1: There's something going on up there night. Those woods. Anybody who started to ask questions later on was either permanently silenced or encouraged to be silent by the evidence that others were being systematically permanently silenced. What fairies really look like, really look like.
0: What I'd like to know is, why did you bring her to me, me?
1: Would they look more like us? Spiteful, malignant, deadly, deadly,
2: deadly. There's an old folk tale, a version of which is relayed in Grimm's fairy tales as an anecdote. It's had a few titles over the years, but the oldest and most accurate title we could find was translated as How Some Children Played. A group of young children, all around five years of age, decide to play a fun game of pretend. One child will be the butcher, one the cook, and one the pig. But the problem is, none of these children yet understand the concept of make-believe. There are two versions of the story. In both versions, the child playing the butcher actually slits the throat of the pig. The town comes together and decides that because the murder was part of a child's game, and the child playing the pig was killed completely by accident, They decide to test the boy. They offer him a gold coin or a delicious apple. If the child picks the apple, he goes free. If he picks the coin, he dies. In the second version of the story, which appears to be the authentic version, the child playing the butcher murders the child playing the pig, just like the other version. However, this is where things diverge. In this version, the child playing the butcher actually slits the throat of his younger brother while their mother is upstairs bathing a third child. Hearing the commotion, she rushes downstairs to find her son, dead in a pool of dark red blood. She enters a vengeful, violent rage and in a fit of blind murderous fury, murders her son, the boy who had been playing the butcher. After a moment of staring at the bloody remains of her two children, she remembered her third upstairs in the bath. She rushes upstairs, but she's too late. Her third child had drowned in the tub. Flooded with grief, she hangs herself above the collected bodies of her three children. When her husband returns and sees his children in a pool of black blood on the floor, his wife hanging above them, her eyes black, her face twisted in agony, he drops dead from grief. Ferry is a Parcast production, available exclusively on Spotify.
0: From the Public Radio Alliance in Minnow Beats, Wales, you're listening to Ferry, I'm Ryan Bailey. Stay with us. When we left you last time, Elliot Waters and I were at his home, which had just been broken into by a group of people. They'd stolen what Waters claims was the proof he needed to convince his superiors to reopen the department. One of those people came back, a woman I'd met before when she somehow managed to break into my apartment. I'd learned from Elliot Waters that the woman's name is Morgan. According to Waters, what had to be done was simple. He brings the people who need to see proof, the proof they need to see. They reopen the department, and he saves his friend, the Spriggan, somehow, and perhaps even saves the world. Sounds simple enough, right? But now, Morrigan has his proof. The Spriggan, or April, remains where she is, and the department is still closed. All of this presupposes that you believe there's something otherworldly going on. That the woman named April is actually some kind of fake creature known as a Spriggan, that she's actually missing, and that an organization called the Department actually ever really existed. I'm still not sure what I believe exactly. I've gone back and forth on all of that stuff. I did try and find somebody named April who worked in event planning but I was unable to find anyone who matched the Spriggans' description. So, back to Elliot Waters' house, back to the woman named Morrigan. After Morgan returned to Waters' house the night his proof was stolen from his safe, the two of them shared a few words in private, and then Morrigan was gone. From what I could ascertain, Morrigan had come back to see Waters as a kind of warning. I asked him what she'd said, who she was, and why she might want to steal what was in his safe. But he told me he was tired and that he had some work to do. I pressed him. I wanted to know, but he got very upset and shut me out of his home. I kept calling, leaving messages. He finally called me back the next morning. I have a lot
1: of questions. I'm sure you do, but I have one I need answered first. Fine. Have you spoken with the demon? Why would I speak with the demon? He or she left a message for me to call. I haven't been able to get in touch. Said it was about your show.
0: I haven't heard anything. Okay. I'll let you know if he or she gets in touch. You'll do the same? Of course. Now, Morrigan.
1: Waters. What about her? Who is she? She's an old friend.
0: An old friend who breaks into your house and steals your proof from another plane of existence?
1: It's complicated.
0: How about you try and uncomplicate
1: it? I will. Soon. That's not good enough. It'll have to do, for now.
0: It looked like Waters wasn't ready to share what was happening, or had happened in the past, between he and Morrigan. I wasn't going to let him get away with stonewalling me for long, but at the moment, he definitely sounded like he needed a bit of space. So, the demon had tried to get in touch with Waters, said it was something about this show. Hopefully, she or he will call again soon. During this process, the recording, mixing, and investigating, I've been spending a lot of time in somewhat stressful situations. I've been a runner since college, I used to run around the campus at night in the rain to clear my thoughts. Last night, I was running along the waterfront. It was cool, but bracing. A light drizzle felt just right, the perfect amount of fresh, misty air, and the perfect temperature to keep you moving along at a nice pace. It was while I stopped to tie my shoe that I noticed them. They were barely visible on the water side of the path in the darkness. I was concentrating on the beautiful rhythmic sound of the waves lapping against the stone wall, so I didn't notice them right away. But I eventually saw them, just out of reach. Dark things, squirming things, whispering things. I know what you're thinking. Take a closer look. You're imagining things. Just relax and look again. But no, I wasn't looking again. And no, I wasn't imagining things. At least, I didn't feel like I was. I turned and ran back into the city proper as fast as I could, away from the seawall, away from the cool briny air, away from the meditative sound of the waves lapping at the stone wall away from the strange creatures in the darkness. When we launched this podcast, I believed that fairy mythology and the existence of veils between worlds were simply fun stories and fodder for writers and wishful thinking conspiracy types. Now, I'm not so sure. A lot has changed since that initial launch. I've changed a lot. I'm no longer quite as certain about a number of things. Something I am quite sure about, however, I am going to figure out what's going on with Elliot Waters in the department. It's been confusing, exhilarating, terrifying, and compelling, and that's great. I really do appreciate the experience but it's not enough. I need to know what's going on. I mean, I need to know what's really going on with Elliot Waters and the department. While I was sitting in the studio recording this narration, I received a call. I'd been calling around looking into the night song. One of my inquiries finally paid off. It was a soccer coach in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. She'd overheard some of her players talking about going into the woods to recite a song, a verse that her kids believe is supposed to summon the devil. The coach told the kid's parents, one of the parents was married to my former professor's brother. The word got back to her husband and he passed along that information to my former professor. Like my own family, my former professor's grandparents were from Wales, so he'd always had an interest in Celtic mythology. I'd asked him to help me look into some of the mythology surrounding old fairy tales. Before he called me, he'd spoken with one of the girl's parents. She told him that the kids had ordered all kinds of occult materials online, including a copy of a strange old book, and confirmed that the girls had been planning to go into the woods to perform a ritual of some kind. I'd heard of kids doing this kind of stuff before, performing rituals in graveyards, buying the Satanic Bible, the Necronomicon, or the Malasetic Atlas, and reading the mystic passages aloud by candlelight in the darkness. As a child, I remember holding up a candle and chanting Bloody Mary into a mirror. It was fun to get scared. Sometimes. So initially, I was pretty sure that this was most likely nothing more than a few kids planning to perform some weird Halloween-esque ritual in the woods. And, because the parents were all informed, everything was going to be fine. But that was before I found out that the ritual they were planning on performing involved reading something that they called the earworm. What if they were going to actually be reading the night song? Apparently the girls had special ordered a book online. Well, not exactly online. More like they used Ethereum to purchase a book that allegedly contained the Night Song on the Darknet. I looked it up. I think it might be authentic. I fired up my Tor browser and took a look at the image of the sample page on my computer and it just felt, feels super creepy. I sent a link to both Waters and Agent Cook. I wanted to interview the friends and families of the girls from that soccer team, the girls who had ordered that book. I wanted to find the girls before they read the night song. I was about to call Waters and ask him to accompany me when I received a call from the man recalling Agent Cook. I called him back right away. What's going on?
1: Couple of things. Okay. I wanted to say thank you for forwarding the info about the girls who ordered that book.
0: You found the seller?
1: Yes, we shut it down. Thankfully, there were only three sales. The other two hadn't shipped yet.
0: But those girls did manage to order a copy.
1: Sadly, yes.
0: Well, at least the other two copies won't end up out there.
1: Yes, and thank you for that.
0: I don't suppose this means you're back, that the department has been reopened?
1: No, we're still working as concerned citizens.
0: We, meaning you and Waters?
1: Yes. Which brings me to the other reason that I called you. What's that? I'm worried about Waters. What about him? He's not himself.
0: Could you be more specific?
1: Not really. It's just a feeling. This is the worst possible time for waters to be wavering. Why is that? Because that book of poems those girls purchased online may contain the night song. The actual night song this time.
0: Agent Cook believes Waters might be becoming unstable. He went on to suggest that the three of us meet as soon as possible.
1: Proof of portal? Yes. You're serious? Why not? Why not? Would you listen to yourself? Do you know how dangerous that would be? Not to mention irresponsible and forbidden? Forbidden by whom? The department's gone dark, remember? Just because we're not officially sanctioned, doesn't mean you can just throw out all the rules, Elliot. You know the danger here.
0: What are you talking about? What is proof of portal?
1: It's a mistake, is what it is. And I'm not taking part. Proof of portal means I secure proof that the Fae have returned. It means a lot more than that. Waters?
0: What's he talking about?
1: There are certain... risks.
0: What kind of risks?
1: Proof of Portal involves checking the state of the fabric between the worlds. How do you do that? By summoning the fate. By creating a gate.
0: I thought creating a gate required all kinds of equipment and specialized training?
1: There are other ways.
0: Other ways? Like what? Waters? Waters did seem a bit off. I tried to talk to him about the kids who were planning to read the earworm in the woods, that we had to stop them, that Agent Cook was worried they'd found the actual night song. But Waters appeared distracted, He told me that he was tired, that he needed to grab a coffee, said he'd be right back. That was the last time I saw him. About 7.30 p.m. on the day I had this conversation with Waters, I received another visit from the woman who'd broken into his home and mine. When I came home that night, just before stepping into my living room, I'd smell the familiar milky cinnamon scent. Once again, Morgan was sitting in my living room. After the shock wore off, I started recording. I double-checked before we continued. My recorder appeared to be working this time.
3: I believe you'll find your electronics are operating normally. It appears so. I have a lot of questions. What would you like to know? Who are you? A friend. Are you human? That's a complicated question with an even more complicated answer. Any other
0: questions? I'd like to know exactly what's going on. What do you believe is going on? Waters is trying to find proof to reopen the department. And do you believe him? I'm not sure I believe any of this stuff. At least not the more supernatural elements, but but I don't see why he would lie about that. Perhaps I can help. What do you mean?
3: Well, for one thing, the ironweed he took in England. What ironweed? The ironweed I removed from his safe.
0: You mean his gray shard from the Beast of Bath. What are you talking about? His proof. He found part of one of those things. He was going to use that to prove the Fade were back. That was nothing but a bit of
3: petrified wood. Unlike the ironweed, that did not come from the Fade.
0: So, okay. But those weeds he had in that safe were from the Fade. Yes. So he did have proof.
3: How do you think Ironweed from the Fade proves that the Fair Folk are once again walking your world? I don't know. Well, it doesn't. Ironweed from the Fade can do something, however. Do you know what that might be? No. That particular Ironweed might be able to help him open a gate. A small crack in the Fade. What are you saying? Elliot Waters isn't doing what you think he's doing. What is he doing? He's trying to open a portal. To secure proof of portal? Whatever that means? Is that what you believe? Everything he's doing is to reopen the department? What do you believe? Did you know that Elliot Waters was terminated by the department BEFORE it was shut down? I can see by your expression that this is information you didn't possess. What happened? Officially, very early retirement. Unofficially? Elliot Waters tried to commit suicide after
0: the death of his wife and child. I think he believes he was possessed by something called a changeling while he was outside his house in the car. What do you believe? First of all, why should I believe you? You
3: don't have to believe. Simply pay attention to what's been going on.
0: None of this makes any sense. Why all the stuff about reopening the department? About the return of the fairies?
3: Elliot Waters really does want the department reopened, of course. I'm just not convinced that concern is his primary concern.
0: You believe his primary concern is what? Where is Elliot Waters? I have no idea.
3: Now? No. Do you have a phone number I can reach
0: him at? No. Why don't you just break into his house and wait for him to show up?
3: I'll ask again. Do you have a number I can reach him at? No. Are you lying to me, Miss Bailey? Yes. Hand me your phone.
0: Access code? 30267. Thank you. Elliot, I need to see you right away. Please call me, it's an emergency. How did you do that? How did you sound like me? Miss Bailey?
3: Yes? If you ever attempt to lie to me again, I'll tear you apart from the inside out.
0: You've been listening to Ferry. I'm Ryan Bailey.
2: Ferry is a ParCast production, available exclusively on Spotify.
0: Ferry is produced by Terry Miles, produced, mixed, and edited by Nick Silver and me, Ryan Bailey, Associate Producers Carlene Bennett and David James, Executive Producers Terry Miles and Hollis Adams-Lane. If you enjoy Fairy, you'll love our other shows, Tannis and Rabbits at tannispodcast.com and rabbitspodcast.com. For legal and safety reasons, we've elected to change some names and leave others out entirely. We don't do this very often, but we're unwilling to compromise people's safety for any reason. Thanks again for listening to Ferry.